Good morning. Welcome to my morning rant. Where I talk about anything that comes inside my head. Starting with, um, no, I don't want to have dissatisfaction in my coffee so early into the cup. Um, Because usually by the end I'm like, that was an excellent cup of coffee. But I switched up the mug. It is a very nice mug. What is it? It's some stoneware from Poland. It's very nice. Very nice. Um, I don't want to spill the coffee on myself trying to see, but it's a very beautiful cup. It's from Poland. Um, And it is one that I put in the category of being one of my better mugs to drink coffee out of. I just think I'm not in the mood for coffee. (laughs) right now. Um, I am, I've been on a, uh, on a more maintainable journey with cannabis that, um, is more food-based, edible-based. I feel like it just allows me to get more done Um, and to feel overall healthier, which is the point of the herb at all for me in my life. Um, but it doesn't have that, it takes away that fun (laughs) of just being like off floating on a cloud. And so I miss flour extremely. I miss flour. I miss the smell of it, I miss handling it, I miss um, breaking it down and smoking it and looking at it and studying the characteristics of it and um, just overall how it makes me feel. But uh, living in a much smaller environment with um, not, not, um, uh, with no, uh, with not a lot of outdoor space that is um, where I can be solitary, <laughs> then it really switches up um, delivery, delivery methods and delivery systems. And I wanted to make, I've always wanted to make that change since the very beginning of cannabis as an option in my life, simply from growing up and reading about God giving us every herb um, bearing seed and that he has given it to us for food. So I've always walked around like, you know, you Christians need to settle down over cannabis. God gave it to us. Um, But I always had to dismiss that other portion of the scripture that he gave it to us for food. And um, I even, my very first podcast that I did was about cannabis and how it was a God-given thing. And um, one of my family members really had an issue with it and, you know, was just, I just want to make sure that you're not misleading people and, you know, that you're really sticking to the word of God and blah, blah, blah. And, um, 
for me, if I was, then I would have left it up. But it was that second portion of the scripture that I was ignoring that, um, or just kind of like, um, uh, putting, shelving it for later. <laughs> like I understand this portion, but I'll deal with it for later. And then, uh, cannabis legalizing in Oklahoma and really across the United States. I think I read that there are only, uh, two or three states that have not legalized. Um, and I think a lot of places, depending on where you go, pretty much operate recreationally. Um, that's what I have found. And I don't mean to say they're operating recreationally, like they're not, you know, checking licenses and all that stuff, but there's just not a lot of medicine or, um, there's not a lot of, it's called medical, but it being called medical is like just language that allows you to, that allows them to make money off of it. Because then if it's medical, you have to get a prescription, you have to see a doctor, you have to have a license, you know, like it's just a way to gather money for it. Cause once you're inside the dispensary, nothing medical is going on. <laughs> no one is sitting with you and talking about like the, um, the pros and cons of a strain versus another strain or about responsible use or even about targeted use. No one's doing that. You're just once you're inside, it's a free for all. And some of them are obnoxious. Like you're, um, there's one that I really like their, their deals and their selection. Like if there's a flower that I can think of that I want to try, they've got it. Um, but they're also open 24 hours and they are in a part of town that is, um, heavily populated with drug users. <laughs> and so I would be interested to see if meth and crack has gone down in those areas simply because of the clientele within. <laughs> it's never like, um, and what I mean by that is like everyone in there seems like really cracked out to be on, um, on shopping for cannabis. And what I mean by cracked out is just, um, well, like we had a slang, slang that was fiending, like when they're fiending for something, um, like, I don't know, it's just a difference in behavior, like jumpy and kind of just like, and I can, I can seem that way. I think too, if I haven't had any cannabis in a really long time, then I can seem like a wild, wild eyed hair raised sort. That's just like, what you got? I got, I got like, what do you have for me <laughs> when I'm very stressed or frazzled? And I don't like to get to that point. And if I am to that point, then I feel like something is out of balance in my life. And for me, the things that get out of balance are sugar, uh, alcohol, and tobacco. 
And if I am dependent upon any of those things, then I'm likely to crash hard. And when I fall into or overindulge in those things is when cannabis has left my life for an extended period of time. And I just have pushed past the cutoff date because I regularly fast from cannabis um, anywhere from um, a few months to the longest was a few years. Um, the few years was miserable for me. I was, um, I was, I was depressed throughout the entire thing, but at the same time, um, there was no space for it. Had I known about edible, like had I known that I could make my own oil and that I could just, and it's what I was always pushing towards. The reason why I was smoking in the first place is because I lived in an area where there was a scarcity. CBD was coming up as a, as was coming upon its legalization. Colorado had just legalized. Um, and so there was a real like tough spot in Oklahoma where people were just, um, kind of like calling Colorado demonic <laughs> and like, we're not going to fall for that demonic agenda in Oklahoma, but we're like, bordering them. So it's like we're losing people to Colorado every day. And so this thing started happening where CBD started like trickling in and started becoming legalized. But for the longest time, the only thing that you could get was CBD. And I um, tell people in Oklahoma especially when they're like, oh, I'm going to, you know, go try some CBD and, you know, see if that works for me. And I tell them, I'm like, okay, but listen, when you try CBD for the first time, don't get mad, <laughs> but you're going to recognize it as the herb that you regularly smoked when um, prohibition was still going on in Oklahoma. And it's so funny because I remember we would buy this and we would smoke it and smoke it and smoke it. And you would just like never get high. There was a mental change and, but you would never get high. And I know for me, like I would just get like really, um, I don't know, just like quiet and want to be by myself. And I would get a lot done, but I didn't have that fun high. And my friend smoked so much of it that she was just like nearly comatose. And I was just like, this is not fun. <laughs> this is not helpful. This is not fun. This is not worth it. And like, I just kind of, that's when my, um, and it was not, you know, we were buying CBD at the time, um, which was a legal plant, but we were still buying it in the regular way that you did back in the, the 90s and the 2000s and every other time before then. Um, but it was just, it was not worthwhile. It was not fun. It was not productive. It was not. And so I, um, and I was having... Um, I was, I was stepping into leadership in a church, um, as a worship leader and I had enough 
grappling and going back and forth in my head over it that it was that I just was I think one Sunday I was like let's just not smoke before going to church and see what happens (laughs) see if you know if it's a different experience because there's that thing when you do smoke cannabis where you do it before everything like I'm I'm gonna do the laundry okay let me smoke because I'm gonna do the laundry okay I'm going to gather up the laundry. Let's smoke first. Okay. Got all the laundry ready. Okay. Let me get the detergent. Let me get my money for it. Okay. Now I got to go down here to the laundry. Okay. Let's smoke first. And then it's like you go and you do the laundry and you put it in there and then you come back and you're like, woohoo, I'm so happy. Let's go and let's smoke to celebrate. And then you're like, you know, doing all your errands. Okay, now I got to clean the bathroom. Let's smoke first. Okay, I got to wash the dishes. Let's smoke first. Oh, we need groceries. Let's smoke first. Like it was just became the like first. Let's smoke. I think that's the only thing that changed when I was in my 20s. It was let's smoke first. And then in my uh, 30s, there was a lot of fasting from it. And 30s, my early 30s, um, I was really into I was really into mushrooms um and that's again just because it's what was available around me and I don't know I think I have been into um herbs and more I and more like intuitive and indigenous eating for so long just as a means of survival um and by that I mean I grew up in a family that if anything was wrong with you at all, like your my dad would look at you and go, Oh, that girl all right. <laughs> that boy all right. And that was the like official medical diagnosis and you went to school or you went to church or you went and you did your own thing. And so now with my daughter and all of her food allergies and, you know, sensitivities and different things that I have had her tested for and pay attention to and really um, orchestrate our life around in terms of environment and food and lifestyle, then I just see, like, I was really jacked up in childhood. Like, there was something wrong with me. Like, that was, it's important to know. Like, my mom thought... I was going to die <laughs> as a, as a toddler. She really thought I was going to die. And I could have, like in actuality, it's a milk allergy. <laughs> it's a milk allergy. My daughter has been hospitalized twice, you know. And so it's just kind of like, and I can imagine my dad looking at the baby and saying, oh, she all right, just put some, put some cream on that, you know. But... I know from the times that I have fed my daughter the wrong thing or the times that people have not responded to her um, breathing patterns changing being a life-threatening thing for her and just wondering how many close calls I had. But when I got to be about 16, um really when like 12, 13, 14 is when adults started leaving us by ourselves more to fend for ourselves. Like not like neglected, but just like it's summertime. You're going to your great grandmother's house who sleeps all day. 
but like it's like five of you guys so look after each other like we would meet up it was me my brother and my sister and we would meet up with my with two of my cousins who were visiting um for the summer and we would all be at my great grandmother's house who would be like in her room sleeping and she would occasionally get up and walk out on her walker to see what we were doing and for the most part we got into no trouble we tried to rewire a tv that resulted in a small little bit of fire and permanently ruined a tube but my great-grandmother didn't watch that tv um let's see we melted a couple of like plastic forks and different things with my grandmother's magnifying glass and the sun. Um, I made what we officially titled shit cookies because I was just, I thought I could bake. <laughs> and I think I still bake that same way for the most part, except now that I'm older and I understand how math and science work and um, I don't have to try to create magic with baking. And back then I... I made like, I don't know, I just told my brother and my sister that I knew how to bake cookies. And we had in kindergarten at some point made these no-bake cookies in the classroom and they were really good. And I just had a memory of it and was like, that wasn't hard at all. Like it was a couple of ingredients. And so um, my brothers and sisters, I don't know, they believed anything that I told them, which is why I'm so dedicated to not lying in life because I could say some outlandish things and like they grew up with me and they, it's like, when did I have time to even, when was I away from you long enough to learn how to ride a horse? Like when, <laughs> what adventure did I go on without you? But I could tell them anything and they would believe it. Um, and I, you know, just used my powers for good then and realized you're a storyteller, like just tell stories, but don't tell stories, like don't lie. Um, but I had them convinced I could bake cookies. And so, and it was because I, I thought I could. And so then they were really excited about the cookies. We were at my great grandmother's house. So, you know, there's like ingredients in the cabinet from the twenties and the thirties, <laughs> And so I just went to town. It smelled really good. It had a nice form, but I don't know. I wonder if I, there was probably not like a lot of sugar in them because looking now at all the things and I probably, it was probably mainly vinegar and baking soda and cinnamon, um, that made them rise, but they were awful and they smelled delicious in the oven and they puffed up like nice again lots of baking soda <laughs> and then um we pulled them out of the oven they cooled they smelled so good like I've I've never thought about the expectation that my brother and my sister must have had for those coffee for those cookies I've never thought about it um, but today, knowing the anticipation that my daughter has when I'm baking something that smells good and like what a disappointment it would be for her if I like and has been if like what comes out of the oven is completely inedible. Um, and I remember them taking a bite. I think we all took a bite at the same time because now I'm convinced they smell so good. I'm convinced that I've just cracked the code on baking as well. 
Like they smelled amazing. Like um, a snickerdoodle cookie. Like that's probably what I was, that would be the closest to what these looked like and smelled like. And we all take a cookie and we bite into them. And I remember we were just all like, (laughs) immediately. And we're spitting them out. And I think it was my brother that was like, oh, those aren't cinnamon cookies. Those are shit cookies. Those taste like shit. And then we threw them out for the dogs. And the dogs came running over like, "Mm, what's this? And smelled them and like walked away like, nope. And they're like, even the dogs won't eat them. And I thought you said you could bake cookies. And I'm like, when would I learn to bake cookies? (laughs) When? (laughs) When would I have the time? But when I think about it in this moment, I did have um, some interesting experiences and teachers. All throughout my life, there's always been teachers that have been around and I don't mean like school teachers but I mean like people that actually have a craft and a skill and and want to pass it on to other people and so I had an art teacher who did like for real art like we weren't in there just kind of cut and pasting it was always something like she would have us um she had a spinning pottery at one point which was really cool and I made this um, I was, it was supposed to be a bowl that I was making, but, um, I don't know if in the spinning process or something, it kind of collapsed or then there was this huge crack in it. And then we had to write our names in it and then we put it in the, in the kiln. We had a kiln. She had a kiln in our classroom. (laughs) Never today, but she had a kiln in the classroom and we glazed them all um oh my gosh she was the she was the best teacher um we glazed them and then I took it home and I gave it to my dad and he used it as an ashtray how do you ash on your little third graders name I don't know but in the 80s you could do this um with no guilt (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> today you would have it would have to like come out as a receptacle of honor in today's um uh, childhood experience but um so I guess I was doing interesting things I was an editor of a newspaper like yeah I I guess I always was doing something that was like you're not normal <laughs> reading the encyclopedia and the dictionary and like just trying to memorize large like just trying to memorize books um so I guess if you're gonna believe that any kid knows how to bake it would be me um yeah that's hilarious I don't know how I got from um my morning coffee to cookies but um that was a fun little memory. Anywho, if I can circle back, circle back to that indigenous living and eating as a way of survival. Um, and on the on the um, topic of indigenous eating, I my great grandmother was a full blood Creek Indian, and 
Um, she was very adamant that we knew she was full blood Creek Indian our entire life. And I never understood why she was so adamant about it um, until much later in her life, towards the end stages of her life, when um, realizing that, you know, her that had been stripped from her in childhood because uh, it was a very common practice. And part of the reason why there's so many white engines walking around in Oklahoma for people to come through and they just kind of labeled all of the dark, darker skinned Indians as uh, Negro or slaves. And another fun fact, Indians had slaves and plantations. Um, and so, uh, they came through and with my grandmother's tribe, uh, she was, um, marked down as an, was she marked down as colored or as a slave? Um, yeah. And her land was stripped from her. Her stepdad sold her land for really cheap and my grandmother spent, um, the rest of her life trying to recover her land and trying to recover her legacy. And it's something that my family has also been trying to do. Um, and it's not, let me tell you, the people that have hold of the land and the money and the, the right to claim themselves as Indians, like I've heard wild stories, like you could just go and buy the right, a white person could buy the right to be Indian for like $5. And it eats me alive when I see um, commercials and it's nothing but blonde haired, blue eyed people walking around like I'm a proud, proud member of the Choctaw Nation. And it's like, how? <laughs> when? And when I meet actual um, um, legit Creek Indians, how their response to me and, and how they, they are like, um, you know, cause they're working at Walmart. <laughs> they're not reaping these huge rewards that white people seem to be able to reap from being, uh, a native <sighs> rants for another day. Anywho, my, there are things that I do in adult life that I realize, especially when it comes to herbs and eating and how to live that came from uh, the experience of growing up with my great grandmother and different things that were when I was older in life and I would work in these vitamin shops or stores and I would, you know, sell something and then or I would try something and it would just zoom me back to my childhood like uh, Ratatouille the Disney movie Ratatouille when the food critic takes the bite of the Ratatouille and he's like zoomed back to childhood that's how I would be with different herbs and things and then reading about them and seeing the different tribes that they were native to or the places in Oklahoma that they were native to and remembering like my great-grandmother would make us take that, like, every single day. <laughs> I remember, the taste is just, like, wild cherry bark syrup is, like, just the taste sends me back to my great-grandmother's house. And um, 
there were just there was just a lot of practical wisdom that she had that just went through our family. It's just this is the way we do things. And um, so for me, as like 12, 13, 14 is when I started to realize like that I just didn't like certain foods. Um, and I had never had real food either. Um, I ha- I had only had processed cheese. I had never had like real cheese. I didn't know what it tasted like until I was in my 20s and I moved to Boston and I was introduced to brie. And then it, as anyone who is introduced to brie responds, all you want to eat is brie. <laughs> everything. You want brie on everything. And then, um, Gouda. Oh my gosh. When I was introduced to smoked Gouda, that was, I could have just locked myself in a room and like the introduction of these things into my life. Like I started to feel like, Oh, that's why I didn't like, you know, cheese growing up. Cause I don't like processed cheese. I like real cheese. So I went through that phase for a while and throughout this entire phase of just, you know, like people that eat milk and dairy really believe it's good for you. It's healthy for you. And they don't understand that it could be death for anyone. And so all throughout this time period, like I was my, I was practically crazy throughout that entire, like 10 year stretch of eating dairy. Um, eating, uh, ice cream. Oh my gosh. So much ice cream, cream and creamer in my coffee. Because if you don't catch the ladies at Dunkin' Donuts soon enough, like sugar and cream are going in that, that mug. Like I would have to establish myself as a regular presence at a local Dunkin' Donuts so that they knew coming in, this is the weird girl that wants it black. (laughs) But, um, And then burritos, sour cream and cheese, like, oh my gosh. And uh, mayo, it's big on mayo. And all the time I'm just growing stinkier and my hair is falling out and my skin is breaking out. I'm just like a walking stinky eczema patch um, that is just, you know, drinking too much and smoking too many cigarettes to realize that it's the Philly cheesesteak that is literally making you die (laughs) every day. I just did not understand it. Um, and it was just kind of like, uh, it made me feel like an awful person. I didn't understand why, um, my body didn't react to things in the same way. And, you know, I grew up with nothing being wrong with that girl. So nothing in me was ever like, are you maybe allergic to these things? And people that eat dairy, milk, cheese, ice cream will not let you be allergic to these things. They're just like, no, 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 no. It's, it's good for you. Maybe you're just lactose intolerant. Why don't you just buy some of those pills and keep them in your purse? Um, which I tried for a while, but who thinks to, who thinks to eat these? Like when you're going to eat ice cream, the only thing you're thinking about is ice cream. You're not thinking, let me stop and take my pills first. (laughs) 
And if you're thinking cheesesteak, you are even beyond the mental capacity to do anything besides walk in and throw your $5 on the counter and drunkenly order your cheesesteak. So you're not taking pills at that point. And then I just, I remember that's when I stopped eating ice cream. I was like, you know what? I just... I'm not going to take pills before eating ice cream and it kind of sucks the fun out of it. So I just, I don't eat ice cream anymore, but I wish I would have had that revelation about yogurt and cheese and eggs and everything else. But it was just ice cream became the outlaw for me because it was the only thing that people recommended um, that I take the pills before, never before eating cheese or anything And then, so I stopped eating ice cream. I would come home for a visit, you know, at the end of the year or whatever. And I would always want my brownie fudge sundae from Brahms. um, That was my favorite as a child. And I remember one year, my mom was like, why are you going to eat that? Like, you're going to ruin your whole trip. You, You nearly die every time you eat it. And I just hadn't paid attention to the fact that I nearly die every time I eat it. (laughs) I just, you know, I noticed like, oh, I might get a headache or I might get sniffly. But that time I ate it and it was right. I was the most miserable I had ever been. And I mean, like, I'm like laying on the floor, sick, dying. I get strep throat. I get like everything. And it was probably just an allergic reaction that I was having. And so that was my last brownie fudge Sunday. I just never again. Let's see. Um, I get knocked down, but I get up again. No, that wasn't. That was a song that I remember singing, but that was not the song that was out. It was during Shrek. Shrek had just been unleashed upon the world. Um, And with it, what was the song? Um, Somebody once told me the world I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed She was looking kind of dumb With a finger and a thumb In the shape of an L on her forehead Oh, the world keeps... That album, Smash Mouth, I was... They loved that album, loved that entire album. Um, Walking on the Sun, yeah. Um, Red Hot Chili Peppers... Uh, Californication, um, was that the album? Mm, no, there was another one. There was another one. But yeah, it was back then that I realized that milk, my body just might not like milk. And I think at that point I stopped eating cheese like Gouda of my own accord or brie, but I still didn't have the rule where I would shut it down if someone offered it to me. If it was offered to me or if it came with the dish, I just like, who turns down brie? Who turns down gouda? Who turns down feta? Who turns down like, cheese tastes delicious. It does. But um, I can say that because I don't have to look at it. Now if I see cheese, I'm just immediately like, "Mm." Because I feel the way my body's going to feel afterwards. Um, and I and I have such an immediate reaction. My body has an immediate reaction. When I went to Norway, um, I 
remember being asked if I had any food allergies and telling them um, milk and dairy and all of this stuff that I can't have. And then I remember getting there and I don't even think this part, I don't even think this portion of the film made it in, but, um, you know, there's the little, the cheese, the little cheese platter and all the different sausages and stuff. And then I don't know what you call the little tool that you slice cheese with the little cheese slicer and why it's such a foreign tool to everyone. I mean, I don't know. I went to a lot of cocktail parties in Boston, like in, in our twenties, like we had cocktail parties all the time. And I mean, legit, like old school mad men, like cocktail party. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it was our way of partying constantly as was their way of partying constantly, but these things were regulars. So when I got to Norway and it's on the table and people are just kind of like, he, 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 they're not going to know what this is or what to do with it. And the two people that know that eat cheese and love cheese are just sitting there like, what do you do with this? And I'm like, you slice the cheese with it. What do you mean? What do you do with this? And then there was brown cheese, which you apparently just don't turn down. And everybody's brown cheese is the best brown cheese. And I remember we have to film this scene and it's like the very first meal that I am, ha or the second meal, we had just had dinner, is the first meal that I am having that is recorded, and nobody knows how to use this thing, and so I'm just like, here's how you slice it, and then everybody's looking, and I'm looking like, I don't, I don't eat cheese, and I remember saying to the person that, you know, uh, said, do you have any food allergies? And I, you know, told her and I said, and God forbid I have any dairy whatsoever. Like, please, if we can just make sure that this does not happen. So then, of course, on night one, I'm sitting there with everyone looking around like it's brown cheese, like you have to taste it. And so I remember like <sighs> giving into the pressure biting a little bit, like, it's just brown cheese, I'm gonna be okay, like, okay, mmm, yummy, it's part of the experience, and then, like, saying, like, afterwards, like, I'm allergic, like, I really can't, I really can't eat this, but I'm self-diagnosed allergic, I've never gone to a doctor and him saying, yep, you can't eat cheese, and, like, in fact, any of the doctors that I went to that I suggested it would come, like, downright pissed off about it, like, you know, ugh, people in their food allergies, quotation marks, like, no, no one's alert. I remember being told by medical professionals and by friends and family that no one is allergic to milk. It's a made up allergy. And oh, Christian people with, um, no, you know, God says that heaven will be flowing with milk and honey. How can you be allergic to it? I had a coworker who would sit at my desk and eat a jar of raw milk with honey. And it looked delicious. It looked like a very amazing treat. I actually did it recently for myself with almond milk. And it was great. It was a really nice, delicious treat. But there's a lot of people get really upset when you imply that you might not digest beef well or milk well or, I mean, we just, 
We lived in a house once where the family's favorite fruit was kiwi, and my daughter is deathly allergic to it, and it was miserable for them. It was a, a two-month sublet, and it was miserable for them the entire time because they couldn't have kiwi. And, like, the little boy would be like, he was the same age as my daughter. They were five and adorable. And he was like, man, Mom, remember kiwi? I miss kiwi. When can we have kiwi again? Oh, right. Edie's allergic to kiwi. <laughs> it's like, why Why you got to do? And the whole family would have like a moment of silence for kiwi. Pour some, pour out some kombucha for the death of their beloved kiwi. So people get really upset with food allergies. And it was one of the things in Norway that uh, one of the, the girls that was on the trip, you know, told me when we walked into a restaurant, she came straight over to me and she was like, hey, you know, just so you know, in Norway, like people have lots of food allergies. So on the menus, they will point out all of the allergens. So there's, you know, and she showed me how to read it. And I was like, that's amazing. That's so awesome. And it was the one and only place that I've ever been to in life where I have confidently ordered food for myself without feeling bad about the fact that I can't eat this, that, and the other. Um, that was the only time I had that experience in Norway because the rest of the time I was on a bus with people who were not allergic to milk and dairy and who like lived their life surrounding it. And so everywhere that we went, there was like this big conversation, like making sure that the hotel had made food for me that I could eat or that there was something for me to eat, but then also um, on the bus was people constantly shoving uh, quick lunch in in me, which is like I I I've it took me yeah I don't think it was until after that trip that I finally put my foot down with chocolate and the fact that I just can't do milk chocolate at all, and it was because I almost died. <laughs> After that trip, um, my body just, I had the most, I had the largest allergy attack that I have ever had in my life um, that hit when I was landing in Chicago. And I was, there was a hospital right across the street, but I was refusing because I just really wanted to get home to my child. And so I'm just kind of like wheezing and trying not to seem like, I'm having any issues and then hoping that it is allergies and not a blood clot <laughs> and that going up in this airplane is not going to have some major thing, major death to my life. And then um, getting home and just like nursing myself with Benadryl and sleep for the next week. It was awful. And then I couldn't work. I was so sick. Couldn't work for like a month afterwards. And then there, it was just uh, 2019, man. Um, going into 2020 was rough enough, but 2019 like decided to just wallop me. Um, and I made it under the wire too. Like I, I think this rant is brought on by I was making my coffee, doing my, my little pour over, and catching up on a flight that I've tracked to um, 
uh, Japan that I've been tracking for a while. Like, this is where I'll go after all of these restrictions are lifted. And uh, the flight dropped by like $500. So I get all these Google flight alerts, emails. And then at the, you know, right above the price, there's a, in red, like April, as of April 22nd, like there are restrictions. And so I'm like, okay, let's look. And like most of the world is not allowed to fly into Japan (laughs) according to these restrictions. And I just remember when I was leaving to go to Norway, I was, it was the uh, furthest away from home that I had ever gone, which would be no problem for me if I didn't have a little person that I loved dearly that depends on me. If it was just me single, like I probably would have gone to Norway and been like, Hey, how, how can I just live here? Let me just stay here. But I had a little person I needed to get home to. And I remember when I was leaving and, or before the trip, like I, I tried to get out of this trip so many ways. Like I called and was like, I don't think I'm really, you know, there's any Norwegian blood in me. I don't think you guys are going to discover anything. Like maybe I shouldn't come. Maybe you can find someone that has a better likelihood of having any kind of Norwegian blood in them. Um, I remember like, you know, calling so many times and they would just bat it away like, nope. And I remember even on the day that I was supposed to fly out, like just not being able to do it for lots of different reasons, but it was me stalling too. And so I showed up a day late to begin with, a day late, $600 fee later, I show up and, um, I remember people asking me like, what are you so afraid of going and having a great time? And me saying, no, I'm afraid that I'm going to get on this plane, that I'm going to go. And then the borders are going to are going to be closed all around the world. And I won't be able to get back to my little person and people laughing at me like you have such a big imagination. And I remember flying on this flight and like, crying and grieving because I'm just, I'm not going to be, the borders are going to close. I'm not going to be able to get back into the country and thinking and knowing this with all my heart was going to happen. And that's the thing with any kind of prophetic insight or vision, something that is super far away can seem really close. It can seem like it's tomorrow. It can seem like it's five minutes for you. And so like if I had said to people, in that moment, hey, you know, made a YouTube video, don't travel, the borders are going to close, you're not going to be able to get back into your country, like, just don't do it, stay put, like, there was an entire year, almost an exact year, that went by that people would not have gone anywhere or done anything listening to me. And then 2020 hits and now for real, the borders are closed. And now even in 2021, like 2020, I was just willing to ride it out. But 2021 is here and it's like Japan for real. (laughs) Like, I mean, I'm in the U S nobody wants us really because we're gross and we're disgusting. And I learned that for sure. Just visiting a public bathroom in Norway that like, mm, the world is better than the U.S. (laughs) We got some growing up to do. And like, yeah, we're, we're like the, I want, I, when I was in Norway, I said like, we're like bratty, um, 
millennials that, you know, feel like we have it all figured out. But no, we are like, we are like the Gen Z of countries. Like, we don't want to hear what you're talking about. (laughs) We don't care if you did it before. This is our thing, you know, and this is how we're doing it. And it's, it's just better. Doesn't matter. I don't care that you guys have been doing it like that for thousands of years. We've been doing it like this for a couple hundred and it's better. So, yeah. Um, And I felt that driving around in this country where I'm like looking at like how much more technologically advanced places are. Like when I was leaving to go to Norway, my friends and family were thinking like, oh, it's going to be so cute. You want a little hill and some cows and goats. And then it was just like the airport was was just like more more tech than I was accustomed to. And I was just like, what? Like, this is a completely different world. I'm not ready for it. Like, we are still in the dark ages. We're still building bridges. <laughs> um, this has been an interesting morning rant so far. I'm going to try to wrangle it back in because... I just know I'm not going to edit it. And if you listened this long, then hopefully it's because you're falling asleep or you're starting your day and just need a droning voice that can be slightly melodic at times. Um, Yeah. So, anywho, let's try to wrap this up. Indigenous eating, I kind of fell back on the things that what would my great-grandmother feed me or my dad's mom things that she would feed me um and realizing like going back to those foods the original foods that I was raised on like on my mom's side there was a lot of processed processed foods you know was the way it was on that side and on my grandmother on my dad's side were like you know, we're having potatoes for, for dinner. We're having, you know, corn, we're having this, we're having that. And my grandmother would go out to the garden and pull these things and pick these things, you know, the tomatoes, the lettuce, everything came out of the garden. And my great grandmother on my mom's side had her garden in her yard. And then, um, my dad, our entire backyard, he turned into a garden. And so going back to that way of eating is where I started to recover health and realizing the things that I hated as a kid, like dates. I rarely buy them because they're so expensive. And my grandmother was just like forcing them on me when I was a kid. And honey, oh, can I just please have syrup? Why do I have to have honey? Why? And she would get honey straight from one of her employers had honeybees and she would just come home with jars and jars of honey. And like preserves. I want it jelly. I want it jelly. I don't want jam. I don't want wild preserves. Can I just get jelly? Just the stuff that we were snotty about as little American kids wanting our PB and J and our Kraft macaroni and cheese. And I can't eat any of that stuff today. <laughs> I mean, none of it. I can't do the, the pasta. I can't do the cheese. I can't do the sugar. I can't do any of it. And so... Um, I came to eat in an indigenous fashion, um, 
to my culture and what was good for my body and intuitive because there are things that you kind of have to sometimes like, mm, like you came for this, but for some reason I really, really, really want to buy that. I know nothing about that, but that's the one I want to buy, but I'm going to buy this one because I came for it and it being a crap experience and then going back and getting the one that just kept catching my eye and it being the perfect thing. So that's what I mean by intuitive. And I'll tell people, my sister or my cousins or my brothers will, I went to buy this, but this is really, I'm like, get that one, get the one that's really like bugging you, get that one. That's the one for you. It's like, I know it has no reviews, you know, nothing about it, but that's the one for you. That's the one that your body, every cell in your being is like, that's one. That's the one for you. That's what I mean by intuitive. And it's done me a great deal of good. And also just realizing different things like, mm, um, my ears, I've been having ear pain for a couple of weeks now, um, it's, we're, if we get through April, like it's, we're pushing towards a full month now. And last night, finally realizing like, um, that I don't have an ear infection. I don't have a cold. Like this is something that I'm doing to myself and trying to single it out and see like, what have I recently introduced to my life that my body or what am I holding on to that my body is saying, no, this doesn't work. And when I was smoking flour, um, because you like get an immediate effect, you can mask a lot of things and not really be able to tune in, but because you're just in bliss all of a sudden. And then, you know, the whole thing is to just remain in that bliss. Anytime you come down from it, bliss, 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 but you can cover up a lot of things. Um, and so doing it in an edible fashion helps me to tune into my body. Cause there's really like, there's this 20 minute window where you feel all warm and cozy and like, can't really, um, make clear, coherent sentences to anyone. And then that passes and you're just on a steady flow. Like, you know, there's no high with the, with the edible lifestyle, um, And it's really just like that 20 minutes, I just want to cozy up and take a nap. And then I'm just like, okay, now getting through my day, pain-free, doing things. Um, But there's no high to it. So there's no like fun. And I realized I can't remember. I want to call him the sad guru, but I know that's not how you pronounce his name. (laughs) But he was saying that uh, really like cannabis and alcohol are you know, people trying to escape from their lives. And when he said that, he messed me up because it's like, am I using cannabis as an escape? Because you can, um, or to alter your mind state. And I, you know, if I was honest with myself, I was. And so going without that and rerouting that whole experience also just I cannot walk into these dispensaries and like I don't know just like the very lack of medicine that's going on there and then it just feels like I'm your pusha it's just like you go up and and I was never into candy stores or anything like that anything that I like 
or that I'm going to put into my body, I need to be well read and well versed on and know exactly how this is going to affect me. I need to do research on it. So walking in and just kind of pointing at a jar and you give me some of that and I give you money and I come home and it's a crapshoot. That doesn't work for me. And that's how a lot of these places run. So, um, making my own oil was me taking that power back and also me moderating what is healthy use for me. Um, but I do really miss flour in the morning as a way to start my day. Um, so I decided to rant instead. Hmm. I don't know that eh, it doesn't matter. At this point, this is just who I am. And it'll be fun, if anything, for my... um, I really originally started doing this so that my daughter, when she wanted to listen to things at night to go to sleep, she would want to, we would want to listen to um, someone talking or something that we could learn. But there was always so much crap. And I would just wish that, you know, it was me talking. And so to help my daughter get to sleep. And so I, um, you know, if anything, take comfort in the fact that she will have this digital production of what your mom was like at this age, for real. And she'll know, like, yeah, no, that was 100% her. So then maybe it's for my grandchildren. (laughs) Or for future generations, when they're is, you know, there is only or there is no such thing as indigenous or um, intuitive, then it will be a record for that. But anyway, I hope wherever you are, you're off to a good night's sleep or enjoying a beautiful morning sunrise with um, a lovely, gorgeous cup of coffee, tea, water, glorious water, a bubbler, anything, whatever, whatever you want to do. Um, yeah, but that's it. That's the morning rant today. And we out.